Good morning. It's Friday, June 4th. I'm Shamita Basu. And I'm Duarte Geraldino. This is Apple News Today. Each morning, hear about some of the most fascinating stories in the news and how the world's best journalists are covering them. When the pandemic shut down the country, even more of our work, education, and social lives moved online. And an existing problem became more obvious. A lot of people don't have access to quality, high-speed internet. When politicians talk about broadband, they're usually talking about expanding access to rural areas. But for many Americans, no matter where they are, it's not about lack of access. They just can't afford it. Vox lays out some of the data on this issue. A new Pew report finds a little more than half of American households making less than $30,000 a year have broadband, but nearly all of those with incomes above $75,000 have it. Keep in mind, the U.S. has some of the highest monthly service costs in the world. CNET looks at what the government is doing about this. The FCC now has a temporary pandemic program that gives low-income households $50 or more a month to subsidize broadband. President Biden's infrastructure plan had a $100 billion broadband spending proposal, but he dialed back that number in talks with Republicans. CNET also looks at various private sector programs that sell lower-income households more affordable Internet access, but... These programs aren't well known, and they can be hard to sign up for. Some cities and nonprofits, though, they're trying to get the word out. If you cannot afford to pay for high-speed internet, you don't have to live without the net. There are private programs designed to help you. Even as workplaces and schools reopen, fast internet will be increasingly important to accessing the best education and job opportunities. And the U.S. has a long way to go in getting it to all Americans. Former NFL players can be eligible for payments as part of a class action suit over brain injuries. About 70% of those players are black. And some of them are saying, because of a racist practice, they're getting less settlement money than white players who have comparable injuries. Now the NFL is ending the policy known as race norming. The Washington Post explains that race norming is an increasingly contested practice in neuropsychology. It looks at cognitive tests to diagnose brain disease. And for Black people, test scores are adjusted with the racist assumption that they start at a lower level of cognitive function than white people. Applied to this football settlement, it made it more difficult for Black players to qualify for compensation. Christopher Seeger is the lead attorney for the players. He's been criticized for his response to allegations of racial bias. But this week on ABC News, he changed course and apologized to black players. I was wrong. I didn't uh, have a full appreciation of the scope of the problem. The practice of law is just out of practice. You know, when you think you know everything, sometimes you don't. But the closer I looked, the more I realized that this had to go. The NFL and Seeger both say race norming was optional and ultimately up to individual doctors. The league's position is that no discrimination took place in the distribution of funds from the settlement. But it's also saying it's going to review past records for possible racial bias. It's still not clear exactly how many former players may have missed out on compensation because of this practice. The settlement involves tens of thousands of athletes, with a payout process topping $1 billion.
A lot of companies went out of business this past year, but in certain industries, small business owners say, maybe a little guiltily, this year was good for them. BuzzFeed News has a roundup of some companies that found themselves in the right place at the right time. Some industries that saw a boom during lockdowns, wine and liquor, internet delivery systems, veterinary care, you know, for all those new pandemic puppies, flower sales soared. Sure, orders for things like weddings plummeted, but online sales and deliveries of flowers went up. The CEO of the Society of American Florists told BuzzFeed, more people were sending flowers just to say, I miss you, or sorry I can't be there. There were also people who own hyper-specific businesses, and some of them were surprised that they're still standing. One couple runs a company that sells tents and yurts. They thought that they wouldn't make it past the first few months of lockdown, but then... Demand for outdoorsy gear shot up. They ended the year with sales up 45%. And a person at a company that makes heating and cooling systems says he saw a huge jump in outdoor heater sales. And on top of that, the company launched a new product right at the start of the pandemic. Yes, an air sanitizer unit. He says no one was prepared for what was coming. It was just lucky timing. The owner of a wine and gourmet grocery store in Brooklyn told BuzzFeed News, in a way, the impact of COVID on businesses feels random. Some people did better, others did worse, mostly for reasons that were out of their control. There's a sort of survivor's guilt for the business owners who made it through this difficult year. A feeling of gratitude looking at their own numbers and a twinge of remorse walking past other neighborhood joints that had to close their doors. Sometime this month, Congress is supposed to get a full intelligence report on UFOs. Now, among people who want to believe we're not alone in the universe, there's a lot of buzz about this. CNN and other media outlets spoke to sources who say this forthcoming report has no clear evidence to confirm reported sightings of these flying objects or alien spacecraft. It also has no clear evidence saying they were definitely not aliens. CNN explains this will be the first time the government is issuing an unclassified report detailing what it knows about these mysterious encounters over the years. Some vintage cars are so special, collectors say you should never pass up a chance to own one. That's apparently the case for one rare 1960 Jaguar convertible. Somebody just paid nearly $130,000 at auction for it. That's six times the sales estimate. The catch? You couldn't drive it even if you wanted to. (laughs) Yeah, Bloomberg has this story, and you have to see the pictures to understand what Duarte means. The last time someone drove this iconic red XK150S convertible was 25 years ago. The crash left the driver unscathed, but the vehicle is totally mangled up. It looks like a giant chewed it up, spit it out, and then stomped on it just for good measure. The front of this car is folded in on itself, and the grill, it just it looks like spaghetti. It's in terrible shape. And you're being kind, Shamita. I, I think I am, yeah. <laughs> the fact that it sold for six figures just shows how popular these so-called barn finds are. Barn finds refers to a type of car collecting where people are seeking out cars that are essentially in really bad working condition. Derelict. You might even call them junk. The cars may be damaged or simply neglected, forgotten for decades. The worst barn finds could need more than just a new engine or a paint job. 
maybe even an exterminator to take care of the rats, or, if you believe the rumors about one car, an exorcist for the angry ghost that guards it. (laughs) Right. So why would someone spend so much money on something that is such a mess? Well, for one, the pandemic has meant that high-end car buyers have had more time than ever to tackle a big project. And for many collectors, it's about becoming part of the car's story, even if the money that you spend restoring it makes it hard to turn a profit. You're going to want to see the photos of this car for yourself, including how the model looked in its glory. Now, this limited edition Jag may be in no condition to drive, but you can still appreciate it. Check out the story on the Apple News app. We've linked to it in our show notes page. And here's something really cool that we're excited about. We want you to check back tomorrow. We're launching the first episode of Apple News Today's new weekend show, In Conversation. This week, I'm talking to the writer Joshua Behrman about his new piece called Last Chance Hotel. It's a strange true story about an American show promoter who tried to throw a Nas concert in Angola and ended up getting stuck in the country and held up by a powerful client. Fascinating story. I heard a sneak peek. Can't wait for you to listen. Have a great day.